0: Hi everyone uh thanks so much for joining us for the first ever enablement evolved uh today i have to be my co-host kieran smith hi everybody uh my name is kieran i am a former
1: sales leader now well deep into the world of sales enablement and i uh,
0: lead the enablement team over at Andela. and kate lewis from e4 enable
2: Hey, great to be here, guys! Thank you very much for the invite.
0: Not at all, our pleasure. Uh, my name is Hector. I'm the CEO and founder of Comptura, and uh, today we're going to be talking about the salesperson's companies and measurement. So, just to kick things off, uh, I'll let Kieran ask the first question. Perfect. So,
1: yes, Kate, you and I have met a few times before. Back when in my former life as a sales leader, we met through the uh, what used to be the Revenue Collective, uh, now Pavilion. Uh, you're of the Manchester chapter, so we've had many chats in the past about confidence. Mm-hmm. I know it's something you're very passionate about, but I wanted to get a little bit esoteric, I suppose, in this for my first question, first ever question, and that is... God, the tension's
2: um, building, Karen. I know, right? Oh.
1: <laughs> yeah, first question. <laughs> so, uh, you, I mean, you might cringe when I ask it. You probably, I hope you don't, but um, rather than me just going... Look, tell us about E for Enable. I suppose my my way of phrasing it is, Kate, from your point of view, what's the why behind E for Enable? And on top of that, is there was there a specific moment, or can you walk into a specific moment? When you went actually, there's a gap in the market for competencies, and where did you get your passion from to to start E for Enable? And and what does it help companies do?
2: Yeah, God, that's. That's not always one question, Kieran. Good, let me unpack it. So what's what's the why behind EFA and Able? Um, the why is ultimately to get more people coached and coaching. But that's really hard to just say to people, oh, you ought to go away and coach your sales teams. Because it's then the question, how do I do that? Where do I focus? How do I start those conversations? So we started peeling that back and getting to the core root of really like what, what what's holding everybody back? What What is that? Why, why is there such a disparity? Why does everybody go to deal reviews or forecasting meetings or pipeline reviews as their go-to place? And I think it's simply a lack of understanding behind the ingredients that go into making a very, very good salesperson. Now that differs for every organization, right? And so that finding out what Good looks like for you, for your organization, for every role in your business, for every team, for every manager, was just a missing piece of the puzzle. Now, as to what made me think, or where, where was there a moment? Yeah, there was, right? So I'm I was a sales leader, VP of Sales, and I was also uh, a trainer. So I'd rolled out spin training across a previous organization. And, you know, I had like recorded some videos to ourselves and open platform for the managers to say, look, this is stuff to coach for. This is the things to watch out for. And then it was like a tumbleweed moment. Well, I wouldn't say moment. I'd say a tumbleweed couple of months where nothing happened. And and lo and behold, this expected, you know, big outcome from everybody having a standardized way of selling through using spin skills and and spin selling just didn't happen everybody went back to their day jobs and under the usual pressures um, and, and didn't change behavior so I got really frustrated because we were still doing it by numbers we were still going you're not doing enough meetings so please do some more meetings okay well how can I actually help somebody do more meetings how can I help them get better at converting those meetings how can I focus on what's broken and how they can use spin to actually improve that and it fell back to the fact that there isn't a common framework there isn't a common set of skills and behaviors. We're not all singing from the same hymn sheet. We're all doing it and sort of, I was gonna swear then I'll be really, really good. I won't throw mud at the wall, shall we say, and hoping some of it's gonna stick rather than creating, you know, a plan, a map, an approach. Um, So it was really, e Enable was built for me because I just couldn't, I couldn't do all this. We had, like I say, a lovely video e like uh, Enablement platform that did video learning and stuff, that's great. But it's only as good as if anybody ever wants to go in it which i mean let's be honest sales reps we don't we don't really like to do something if it's just there we had salesforce which was just the numbers and there was just this missing connector and for me that was a competency framework and being really crystal clear
0: as time has moved on and you've developed this framework and started distributing it have you seen much of a shift between what was once a sales-led environment a very um, proactive direct sales cold calling emails and those sorts of things to a more bio-focused one where you're seeing the rise of PLG companies or on the flip side those where teams are now expected to the the CFO have those frameworks adapted since last year to this year?
2: I think that certain organizations have adapted and changed I think the the strengths of things like multi engagements and multi-buyer um opportunities um but those skills to be able to engage with different buying center uh, personas within a single deal has is, is become more important um so we see things like engagement of the stakeholder becoming more prevalent you know discovery and deep discovery and understanding of your client has always been there but it's more important and it's more important to see it from the buyer's perspective and to take them on a journey. And in equally, I think the skills of meeting your buyers where they are have started to emerge. So the social selling, there's there's being able to, to engage in a, in a platform or a community that my buyers are in without being overtly direct because I'm there to service my buyers, not to sell stuff to my buyers and that shift and sometimes it's a simple shift in language actually changes things within an organization so yeah we've we've definitely seen some of that change
1: if i may i'm gonna go back to sort of the competency bit a little bit and maybe come away from from that slightly but uh, i mean i'm still got a little bit of ptsd from the tumbleweed comment because that's my life sometimes (laughs) we roll something out and then you just go "Oh, this will work and then there's obviously lots of different reasons why that that might not. But to go back to to say rolling out a competency framework, obviously that's what you guys specialise in. What's your thoughts on on the overlap between you know the how the team are measured around you know how you know that competency is based on how sort of an enabling person or a trainer or a coach? Do you think that they should both sort of be measured in the same way? If you're going to you know an enabling person should be compensated or measured on you know, upscaling those, taking it from a two to a three, a three to a four on the framework or or whatever sort of format it is. Do you think that everyone should sort of be be beholden to the, the company mission or is it enablement helps set it out, uh, but it's the, the team managers and coaches responsibilities to to coach to that?
2: No, I think it's all about alignment. I think um, the company framework if you're a fan of hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy if you've ever read it your competency framework is the babel fish it's the translation mechanism that that sits between what enablement are doing and and what sales people are driven by right and what they're measured by if you don't get that connection right then you're actually at loggerheads with each other because sales don't feel like you value what they need to get out of life and how they're they are paid and how they're, you know, performance managed and enablement get frustrated because salespeople aren't engaging in in all of the hard work and the value you're putting out there. So the competency framework connects it. Now, it connects it by understanding the levers that you can pull and the impact that's going to have on the metrics that matter. Now, those metrics can look slightly different. Let me give an example. I'm I'm governed by selling stuff, right? So I've got a quota, a revenue quota that I need to achieve some of the things that me and my manager might talk about might be how many meetings i'm doing what my pipeline looks like have i got enough coverage how many net new loads they're an operational subset on some of the larger elements that you might be targeted on from an enablement perspective so enablement might be saying well hang on a minute we're all about the average order size we're all about reducing the time to win but they're bigger ticket items that are really hard for a salesperson to care about because I can only influence what I'm doing right now. But what's really interesting is both of those will be tied to the same skill set. It's just that one's got a strategic viewpoint and the other's got a more operational viewpoint. But it means that we both care because I'm looking to increase the speed at which we're able to sell and to turn around. So I'm looking to decrease my average deal time, right? now that i'm going to do by being able to engage with multiple buyers get to the to the budget holder more quickly i'm building the pain more quickly i'm able to do all of those lovely things so they're all my skills but for me as an operational salesperson that's also helped me getting a much better conversion ratio out of my meetings it's helping me to build pipeline it's allowing me to close deals and get to my quota so it's phenomenal how you can use that to, to create that translation mechanism and so we are all singing from the same hymn sheet. We're all in it together. But enablement have to have an appreciation, understanding and measurement mechanism that sits beyond just how many training courses have you done? You know, how many people pass that assessment and that test that was at the back end? That Those things don't, don't matter to salespeople. It's ultimately what impact that's having on their results.
0: That's really interesting that you've almost siloed the uh, strategic standpoint and also what the, the rep sees and how they think about closing deals because they, as you said, they've just got a quota. So do you think that running competency training on the strategic side of the business so that one of the team can, for example, understand how shortening the sales cycle affects company health, would it be beneficial to train those kinds of competencies? So when they are in negotiations or thinking about the structure of a deal and how it impacts the business, not just impacting their quota?
2: It depends on culturally how your organization is set up. So, you know, in a wonderful world, you want everybody to care about the same organizational values, right? And, And the same organizational goals. But ultimately to have the biggest impact, you still have to be able to connect it to what's in it for me. So ultimately if my goal is that I want to learn more about the business because ultimately I want to move into a management position and that's been identified using the framework as an area of gap for me. I don't really understand the strategic initiatives and how a business runs. Then I am all in on that. I see how it impacts me, how it gets to my next step of my career and how it's going to deliver my number. yip do. If it doesn't and it's just taking me away from all of the things that I'm focused done right now then the the value is diminished and that's why it's really really important to use that competency framework and the leading indicators that are aligned to it to identify where i've got gaps not where everybody's got gaps but where i've got gaps because then i care and i can see exactly where that knowledge will take or understanding or new skill or behavior enhancement or the new process i'm learning i can see the line of sight and the pathway to me achieving my goals. And 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 that doesn't, we shouldn't apologise for that. That doesn't make me selfish or horrible. It doesn't even make me a lone wolf or anything like that. It simply means that I am seeing value in everything that I'm engaged in and it's supporting that. And ultimately that is going to support the organisational goal because we've made that connection.
1: Yeah, that's one of the fundamental things I believe in and moving to enablement is we've all, as salespeople, because obviously you've worked in sales for a long time as well, right? there's nothing worse than being dragged into a training session. We'll call it a training session that has nothing to do with where your weaknesses are. And you might actually be quite good at it, right? Like, but then yep. go, oh, everyone's doing this training. And don't get me wrong, there are certain times where a blanket approach is necessary, but if everything's a blanket approach, it's less sticky, right? So, yeah. okay, I'd love to get your opinion on so my hypothesis and where competencies sit, because obviously you're entrenched in, in um, competencies. So for me... So one of the things you were kind of alluding to there was kind of like the sales velocity equation, right? Where you take the step back and we go, okay, this is how many sales we want or we did in 2022. This is where we want to go in 2023. How do we do that? Number of deals, average order value, cut the sh- shortness the sales cycle, etc., cetera, et cetera, That sounds lovely, right? From a strategic p- point of view, fantastic. So where, so I have a sort of hypothesis around something called the enablement effective, effectiveness equation, right? So where, for me, it's, teaching plus training times coaching, when then divide that by a metric. So what I mean is the teaching is like the, the acquisition of new knowledge is the why, what's in it for me, why is it important? The training is we practice without live rounds, right? We're in a safe space where we get lots and lots of repetition and then the coaching is the reinforcement after once you're out in the field. Mm-hmm. So for me, where I feel, and i'd love you i'd love you to agree but i'd also love you to disagree right so it doesn't, it doesn't really matter but where i see competencies is the layer of depth underneath the sales velocity equation right? you say how so if we want to shorten this if we want to get a higher conversion rate how do we do that which competencies do we need to train on where, where you know what's missing so if we want to uh, shorten the sales cycle we need to get to the pain faster etc etc but rather than just doing a quick 30 minutes on that, I, I believe that we need to take a real approach and we, we do the teaching, we do the training, and then we do the coaching. So for me, if we were to do, let's just say between uh, a competency set between the one and five, five being the best. For mm-hmm. me, if you were to look at doing a program, if you were to, the teaching and the training part from enablement should take you to your competency level to a three Yep. and then coaching is what from my from from my side the coaching and reinforcement is what should take that to the four and the five but everything's linked you can't it can, you can't be doing these things separately right so you might have to look at what that is so that's where i kind of see what you said before like where it's the sort of baby fish in the middle that's how i see competencies coming into play so again if you just do like a find the pain session what does that mean what is like what are the competencies that go into finding the pain are we covering them are we training them and then are we coaching it and how are we measuring those But well, i appreciate that was a lot of information but how how does that fit into your your thought process of, of how you see companies put uh competencies into place
2: okay so number one uh you know i absolutely agree that is the connector that sits between it all The approach that we take is we'll always say, right, what's the ultimate goal? So we take every single client through this. We say, where do you want to be in 12 months' time? And it's literally a vision exercise. Imagine you're in the boardroom and you're presenting. What are your three points on that slide that you're like, we have nailed this, right? What are they? And, and and it'll depend on the organisation and their strategic goals. So sometimes it can be we're moving into the enterprise space. Sometimes it'll be, you know, 75% of our business is net new logos or we've just transitioned to SaaS or 75, 80% of our team are over 100% of target. Whatever that might be, what's important is then to whatever you want to do is that feels really far away. That's a lagging indicator. It's re- you can't, once you're there, you, you, you're done. You can't change it. So... What are the things we can change? What are the leading levers or indicators that we can feel comfortable about and address along the way that are going to ultimately impact that goal? So, you know, if it's shortening deal cycles, I would want to be starting to see things moving during those early stages from like lead to meeting to op shorter. I'd want to start be measuring those things so that I can say, okay, these aren't going shorter. Let's adjust. Let's see it. So we start walking backwards. And let's say we're all about getting a better conversion from meeting into opportunity. That is what we're using as a leading measure to say we, we, we need to get more out of what we're doing today. That's when you walk backwards to that skill and competency. Right. So it's still that whole surrounded learning technique that you just talked about there, which is coaching, learning, peer learning. So I'm in a meeting, you as a sales manager or a sales enablement are observing that meeting. You walk out of that meeting and you go, nailed it. Tell me why. What did you observe that made it so they nailed that meeting that that is like absolutely turning into or not? Okay, right. Then we get into the skills. Well, they had the right people in the room. Okay, so now we start thinking about identifying new prospects, qualification, engagement at the buying centre. they were able to articulate and understand the clear business issues from the client's perspective. Okay, so so now we've got a good understanding of your client or buyer environment. Three, they were able to articulate the benefits of our solution perfectly in the context of that. Okay, right, so now they were able to ask really insightful questions to really build out the pain and, and involve all of those stakeholders. Okay. Now we've got four really clear competencies that whether you're learning it, teaching uh, coaching or otherwise, that we know that we're going to have a fund of impact, fundamental impact on that outcome. That, for me, is the connector. It's boiling it down from something I can't feel like I can impact because it's really far away and it's really big and holy crap, um, to and what can I impact today from a manager coaching my rep, from someone in enablement teaching for me, as a self-realization of, of of where I am at my rep, you know, at my rep journey, we actually all get to come back to that same place and impact it. Now, that's that's phenomenal to me.
0: One of the things that you mentioned was very qualitative data points or those those, those four key elements that you mentioned require a, a pretty uh, handheld and in-depth look into all of those calls, because assuming a uh, rep might be doing, let's say, four to eight meetings in a uh, in a given day or or even a week if it's enterprise potentially. How do you ensure that consistency that those four things are and and, and that impact and cohesion is being identified as the enablement person when you have a a larger organization uh, team structures where you may have 10 or 15 sales managers each with eight to 10 um, reps in each pod?
2: I, think, I mean, the first step is to get a consistent agreement on what it looks like, right? So getting that agreement and getting that functional operational competency framework, and I know I go back to it all the time and I will continue to go back to it till I'm blue in the face or in my <laughs> grave, is getting that that consistent agreement for starters. Then you then you layer that back, and then against each of those um, competencies, you understand the measures that that is impacting, right? So then you get really clear on, on what are we looking for as, as flags to tell us we need to dig deeper. So for example, if I was like doing, I was smashing it on my meetings, like I'm top of the leaderboard every single month, I'm converting really, really well, but I'm missing that bit in when tune I, when I have a, uh, an op, I'm, I'm not getting the conversion ratios. That tells me as a manager, without listening to every single interaction, that that's the bit that's broken, and therefore that's the bit we need to delve into what you then need to be really clear on is in against each of those competencies what do we mean by it i don't know how many times i've said how good at you are problem discovery oh i am ace i'm really good at problem discovery okay so what do you think problem discovery means i mean by problem discovery is asking insightful intelligent questions that allow you to uncover pain that then take it from that initial pain to dig deeper and find new pain that asking questions that make your client pause and think that's what i mean by it not just asking questions so you have to be clear on on your expectations and then yeah as a manager you have to coach to that and coach to that means observation and it means putting the time in with your reps what it doesn't necessarily mean is listening to every single call every single day that's just not scalable as you rightly say But using data points to identify if there's an issue in the first place takes away a lot of the guesswork to thinking, I've got to listen to all that, listen out for where I think there's a gap. If they're smashing their conversions, but they're not getting the deals closed, I'm looking somewhere else. I'm looking at that later stage negotiation meeting, or I'm looking at are they getting the right people in the room in the first place? All about understanding where where to look and using your data points to guide you where to look in the first place.
1: It's interesting you mentioned the questions. That's we we just got through a recertification process uh, for the entire revenue org. Um, it's not finished yet. It should be should have been, but it's not finished yet. Um, so one of the things that came up was actually around questions and what insightful questions so we've got like the scorecards on gong and we've got like a, a very basic scoring rubric but one of the things is insightful questions and people were like, "No, but i asked questions like you say but sometimes it's just about setting that expectation with you but like, what is it what does an insightful question mean so you look, i listened back to the call and yes they did ask questions but they were very very surface level mm-hmm. but if that salesperson doesn't understand why am i being scored at one if i asked six questions I mean, you mean weren't very good but have i done as an enable person or their manager have we done a good enough job to quantify what insightful means yeah. um so on that point i don't know if there is such a thing but is there such a thing as a consistent competency or like a set of competencies that any of the or that all of your clients are, are lacking in if, whether it be questioning or pain, or impact or closing? Is there like a, what do you see almost like, because you work across like a few different industries as well, but from a sales team point of view, is there like a, a consistent group or consistent um, competency, sorry, that um, you find most teams struggle with? Oh,
2: that's a great question, Karen. Um, and I'm saying it's Life a great even. question, so it gives <laughs> me some time to think. <laughs> uh, I'd say discovery and right. reframing what discovery means. Um and it will depend on what, what they're they're selling, clearly. But discovery is is clear. Um, and then another consistent one is is single point of failure. So not engaging with enough people early enough in the cycle is a key one that's i uh, we all, I'm 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 not immune to that, right? <laughs> you get carried away with happy ears and think, ah, oh, this person's told me they're the be all <laughs> and end all. They make the decision. And then you find out you you, you you've been ghosted or they've just left and oh god my entire deal's just fallen apart even though I was forecasting it so that that's a clear one I think that's just repetitive throughout throughout every organization
1: yeah it's, in, it's interesting sort of Hector you posted about that a few weeks ago I think one of the most you know try to differentiate between a champion and a buyer depending on what methodology you use I think you summed up nicely Hector the other day where certainly for the first half of 2023 everyone's a champion and the only person that's signing off you've got to sell to the cfo at this point in time right there's got to be a reason to move the needle because there's nothing more comfortable right now than the status quo
2: mm-hmm.
1: people mm-hmm. don't want to spend money they're scared you've got all these you know twelve thousand that google being let go in all these places so almost regardless of who your icp is you've got to sell to the cfo for at least for the first half of 2023 right
2: and, and that means deep deep discovery yeah. and and you know if you then start layering on um like a, a, something like med as a as a qualification process and, and that's a whole different thing about aligning yeah. med to your competency framework right but things like the metrics become really really important if you're not asking enough questions to get to that pain if somebody's just saying yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes me. You've asked the question like, you know, and, and does that take a lot of admin for you? And someone says, yeah, it's, it is really annoying. If you've not taken how much admin and, and how long is that taking you? And how many of you are doing that? And, and out of interest, what would you be doing if you weren't doing that admin? And then do, working that through to saying, wait, what's your opportunity lost cost of not being able to do those value add things because you're doing admin and being able to articulate that forward and saying, so what I've got from you here is taking you two days a month, every month. There's five of you doing that. And if you weren't doing that, you'd be actually out coaching and enabling the sales team to achieve higher, which we know coaching then has a 54 percent increase in performance. For so That's that's huge. right? But we don't, we say, oh, right, it's too much admin. And that's not, not good enough. Well, in any environment, that's not good enough.
0: <laughs> it's, it's funny you say that, actually. I was attending a talk by uh, Jim and Ian Cluster last Thursday, where this actually came up in uh, on the panel, was every solution now saves time, saves money, and it's really hard to differenti- differentiate between the tools that actually do those things, being able to tie it to a core KPI mm-hmm. metric, like you absolutely nailed it, Kate, um, in terms of those questions and going, OK, on a monthly period, what happens if I scale that up? And digging deeper and deeper into it until you can tie it to a really finite point rather than, yeah, we'll save you an hour a week or yeah. um, it's we're helping just you, not the whole organization. Yeah, And that's definitely been a massive shift that that I've seen slightly controversial question here because i'm i'm curious what your thoughts are now that the market is in the position that it's in and and more and more um people are being laid off in the in the tech sector and leaders are being asked to deliver more out of their teams and so a lot of the focus has gone on to enablement professionals like yourselves do you think it is just a case of the best sales reps will win and the best account executives and those guys are always going to perform? Or do you think that there's potential to bring, let's say, the uh, lower quartile of your team and bring them up to scratch so that they're performing the same as everyone else?
2: That's a layered question. Um, I I think the biggest opportunity you've got is your middle ground um, in, in, in any scenario. So you've got your top performers, your top performers, nurture them, show them the future, show them what they could be, nurture their goals, tell them what their career steps might be. You treat them differently right you 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 take things aw- away from them you remove blockage you let them fly but you keep them you do strategies that are keeping them in the game your middle ground is your biggest um, opportunity realistically because if you can shift those middle ground if you can look at what are the competencies and and uh, attributes and and we talk about this all day every day if you could take what are the top attributes of those top performers and up the game of the middle performers, So they move into that upper right quadrant. You know, our our platform visualizes, move those people up. Then it demonstrates how much money you're leaving on the table from the people that you've already got in your business, but it requires different strategies. Now the outliers, the ones in your bottom left quadrant, which have got low skill, low performance, they might be in the wrong job. They might just never have have seen a pathway. They might've had a terrible onboarding experience. They might be brand new. There's all sorts of reasons, or they just might not be right. You know, the ones that are low skill, high performance. Okay, so they might have had drop-ins. <laughs> they're the ones where could we even get more performance out of them if we up their skill? They've got great territory; they're just not maximizing it. For example, and then the ones, the ones that that sort of that bottom left, which are highly skilled, but you've seen a dip in performance. They're the ones I'd be worrying about. They'd be the ones I'd be saying, How do I motivate you better? Something's dropped off. How do I get you back up to your game? Because you're really skilled at this and we need to address what's holding you back. So it's always a slightly different strategy for each of those. But for, for, for my money, it'd be moving that middle ground up into that top right hand quadrant.
1: I like to zoom out a little bit um, when you're looking at sales teams. And I suppose my way for phrasing that is, in my opinion, most most sales teams are average. So, like you say, that middle ground. Even if you can get into above average, they're probably better than the majority, the vast majority as well. But I think um, I've probably been this person. You know, the very you know, the very um, I can help everybody, and you spend too much time with the sort of bottom left, right, and you know, like I back myself coaching wise. I, mean, I can I can help anybody. I can improve anybody. But what's mm-hmm. like a five percent shift for a middle? like you say, a middle of the pack person and revenues are much bigger than the bottom left.
2: Yeah. Yeah, right.
1: Yeah. Um, but I, I probably wasted quite a lot of time in my sales career trying to coach those because you oh, don't, don't want to leave people.
2: behind. Yeah, right? absolutely. Some natural
1: but, instinct. Yeah. But I just think and I I use the scale. I love, I love a scale of one to ten question, and like when you're going through like a role play or something like that. And people, you know, salespeople for me fall into one or two categories, either overly um negative about themselves and overly positive right and then people go I get myself an eight and a half out of ten out of Like, do you know how many calls in a year you do at like an eight and a half out of ten like realistically like, <laughs> realistic. or people go I got a nine like really really so um no it's interesting but I know um Hector wants to move into coaching corner so do you want to introduce what coaching corner is this is going to be a
0: regular segment and I bet you've got a few good stories for this kid. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So um, we basically wanted to to wrap up the episode with um, Coaching Corner and we want to understand um, the first thing, which is what do you think has been your most rewarding or good experience having worked in enablement? What was the moment where you were like, yes, I'm, I'm making a massive difference and um, I can see the impact of that?
2: Are you talking from a, an e for enablement perspective or kind of when I've been in a sales leader perspective in a direct coach capacity? When,
0: sure when when you're in a leadership position
2: okay um the the most rewarding strangely are the ones where somebody's got all the potential they've got all the skill but they have an interesting if you're videoing this an, an interesting in inverted commas attitude and so they're seen as a lone wolf or a, a maverick or a They they've got an attitude um and it's holding them back. So my, my best experiences, and I will always tell people when they're building a competency framework to make sure they get the balance right between skills, knowledge and mindset, because your mindset traits are some of the biggest areas that will hold somebody back. Because you can be skilled at anything in the world, but if you've got an inability to take on feedback, if you think you're acting in a particular way because that's what's expected of you, but it, it is absolutely the opposite. If you're, you know, the, the, the class clown in a serious environment or you're being too serious in a class clown environment, whatever it might be. And it's holding you back from applying that knowledge and that skill to become absolutely brilliant what you do or holding you back in your career. They've been some of the most rewarding experiences for me. So don't, don't underestimate that.
0: Yeah. OK, so mindset and then also kind of on the reverse. Are there any um, were there any times in your career again from as a, as a sales leader and when you were directly coaching people that you thought you could have done better or some of the more challenging times?
2: I'd be remiss if I didn't think I could have done better in every single situation. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not fully baked. Anybody that's fully baked or thinks they're fully baked is is crazy. Um so yeah, there will always be a reflection that that says that. Um you will always l- link back to the ones that got away, to Kieran's point, the one you thought you could save, but you it diverted you away from where you could add value to other people. So the biggest self-advice that I can give there is be really crystal clear on expectation. Coaching isn't about being really warm and fuzzy and cuddly. Coaching, even if you follow a simple coaching methodology like grow. It's, it's being able to identify a clear goal, being able to actually have a conversation about the reality. And that sometimes means being really directive, opening someone's eyes to the fact that you might think that you're brilliant at this, but the numbers tell me a different story or the evidence tells me a different story. Talking openly and listening to the options they've got available. But then that will, those smart goals, those smart objectives that are going to say, what is it that you're going to do about it? And then holding that to account and, and all of those elements are actually really, really important. And, and I think they people think that to be a coach, my take is, you know, be consistent, have a structure, hold people to account, listen really clearly. Those are some of the uh, the areas that I would I would reflect on.
0: And maybe you've just answered my last question, but. Um what would you have told yourself when you first got into enablement if you were advising someone who's just started
2: always align yourself to the goals of sales that is sales enablement you are there to enable sales to achieve their goals and in order to do so you have to align to the goals that they have not to the goals that 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 you think are part of your role in terms of learning or i've created and launched 10 new programs all of that is brilliantly valuable but is completely pointless if it doesn't move the needle on the goals of your sales team that you're enabling because that is what you're enabling
1: perfect love that couldn't agree more Um, otherwise you'll be seen as a cost center right
2: yes yeah, that, that's that's the last
1: thing you want, especially in 2023, yeah. right? Yeah. You just don't want to be there. 100%. Um, okay, I think with that, uh, we'll, we'll we'll wrap up here. But thank you so much for your time um very insightful conversation and that's true insightful not just (laughs) Um, so yeah thanks for thanks so much um i'm sure everyone will learn a lot from it and get a lot from it but i suppose it would be remiss of us to um to let you go without letting people know where they can find you or what's the best way to get in contact with yourself or anyone at e4 enable
2: um i'm always active on linkedin so hit me up on linkedin that's Probably the best place um, if you want to check out E4Enable, either via LinkedIn uh, or just www.e4enable.com.
0: Awesome. Well, Kate, thank you so much for your time today, and it was a pleasure. And uh, we'll it there. All right. Cheers. Cheers.
2: Thanks, guys. <laughs>